Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate that. Would you stand with me, please, once more this morning? Um, just want to say thank you for participating, entering in, giving the Lord your sacrifice of praise. I especially love the new song today, One Thing Remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. How many of you thankful for that kind of love of God? Amen? Amen. If you would find one of the screens where you're comfortable reading our text, our series text is the key to the Gospel of Mark. Um, we've thrown you a curveball this morning. We've been doing this for weeks out of the ESV, and I think we probably all have it memorized and can all say, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so to create a little bit of unfamiliarity today, I do that deliberately in my Bible read-through so I don't approach the Scripture thinking that I know everything about it already, thinking I've squeezed every bit of juice out of that, that grape. So this morning we look to the message, and I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Here we go. This is what... Here we go. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. Wow. Just kind of says it in a fresh new way. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Father, we stand here again in this place this morning. We are amazed at your love that never runs out. You never give up on us. Lord, you persevere, you pursue. Thank you, Lord, that there are people standing in this room this morning that are a testimony to the fact that you have not given up, that you're not just the God of the second chance, but you're the God of the hundredth chance and the thousandth chance, and that you give us fresh new mercies every morning. Thank you for a new day, for a new opportunity. Thank you that, that you cause to come to bear on our understanding the amazing implications of what it means to be a completely new creation in Christ, that the old has gone and the new has come. We're overwhelmed at your love for us, that you lavish upon us. Thank you that we don't have to linger in regret or in defeat, but we can say, hello, my name is child of the one true king. Jesus, that is all because of you. This is about you. It's not about us. I just acknowledge before you and these people that I can't do anything apart from you, that I'm helpless. Jesus, apart from you, I'm nothing, but with you I can do all things. And I pray today right now for the unction of the Holy Spirit, for the, for the Holy Ghost in this place that moves in our hearts and instructs us and teaches us and guides us and guards us in the way of the Lord. Do what only you can do. There are people here that need you today, Jesus. There are needs in this crowd. Moved by your Holy Spirit, I pray. We'll be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. You may be seated this morning in His presence. We uh, recently <clears throat> had decided not to do our typical evening uh, in front of the TV in the, the den, and so we were just a little tired, and I said, let's pile up some pillows and just go back to the bedroom and, and watch TV. And so we'd sat down, it was around 7 o'clock early in the evening, and you know, I don't know if you realize now, but we, we are complete empty nesters. Our son, 25, Drew has his own job in Jonesboro, and he's off of my payroll now, and glory be to God. <laughs> and uh, Abby is a freshman at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, so we're experiencing the quietness. We didn't know that our house made the sounds that it makes, the creaks and <laughs> the hums and things of appliances that we didn't realize were there. And so we're just kind of kicked back and, you know, a little bit tired and it had been kind of a, a taxing couple of days and um, flipped on whatever we were just going to watch just to kill some time and boom, 
there's a pop and the power goes out. And uh, within probably 30 seconds, I received a text from Energy that I have signed up to hear from them that said um, that it was probably going to be out for about three and a half hours. And um, I'll just confess to you my immediate frustration. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm completely American. I'm blessed and probably guilty of taking for granted all of the pleasures and the niceties and the, the great advantages that we have in this blessed, prosperous country. And how everything is so connected to one thing, one, one thing being electricity, how it drives just almost the majority. I mean, there was, there was no turning on the iPad because there's no internet connection. There is no, um, you know, there's no computer time, no games played, no, can't put in a, plug in a DVD or a Blu-ray or anything like that because that doesn't work. It needs power. The TV's not working. There's no cable. And so Dawn and I ended up getting up and getting in my Jeep and driving down to West Memphis. And I think we went through Sonic, got some ice cream and kind of milled around and, you know, saw a couple of folks and uh, just, just had a good time. And really, really excited when we got back to the house about 830 and the power was back on because... Before we left, I had gotten another text from Energy that said it was worse than they expected. They've got another crew coming in that was going to be 1.30 in the morning before. And it was still a little bit warm at this point, so there's no air, there's no fan. You know, how it's, it's amazing how so many things are tied to this one resource, this power of electricity. And, and another element that would probably qualify for that would be petroleum in our nation in terms of how we get around, how it drives factories for work, how it powers automobiles for us to go. Um, and, and it's amazing how few things it would take that you would take them out and it would just absolutely paralyze us. And, and as I was preparing for the message this morning uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we're doing an expositional walkthrough uh, in the Gospel of Mark and I, I really began to realize, I started to think about how uh, the disciples had experienced to some degree a kind of a power outage. There was a disconnection. And there was a need that they had that they weren't able personally to meet, that Jesus had to meet, and he experienced some personal frustration in talking to them about why they couldn't. And so, in order to set this up this morning, the title of the message is called Power Outage, and uh, thankfully that's not permanent. It is temporary. It happens sometimes in our lives. We experience it because there is a temporary disconnection from the primary power source. Jesus never runs out of power in the very same way that he is, his love doesn't give up and it never fails and never runs out on us. His power, his anointing, his presence, his goodness, his faith, his mercy, all of the attributes of God are limitless. There's absolutely no uh, measuring them. They are immeasurable as far as the east is from the west, an indefinite, immeasurable amount of space. That is what God says he has cast our sins far from us. And his love is immeasurable. It is it is wider than an ocean, deeper than a sea. And the greatness and the goodness of God that we're talking about today is an unlimited power source. But sometimes we experience power outages because we have a disconnection for one reason or another. So today as we look to Mark chapter 9, I believe this is verses 14 through 29. I'm reading from the message. Um, because this is really about story, it's about a narrative. Uh, and it's not something that requires a lot of depth I'm using the message. It's a great devotional Bible. It's not a study Bible. Now, if I'm, if I'm digging into something, I need, a, I need a Greek tense, and I'm going to present something that could be controversial in terms of different sides of a particular doctrinal belief, then I would be quoting to you from the English Standard Version or, or probably from the New American Standard or maybe the NIV. 
but because this is such a just a great story, and the, the, everything is pretty self-evident. It, it doesn't need any digging down into for any depth of explanation or any what we call exegesis, where we draw out uh, any depth of. It's just right there. It's right there on the surface. We can see it. So I want to read the, the message because it's just so in my face. It just really grabbed me this week. The Bible says you can just read along with me. You don't have to read out loud, but just follow with me. When they came back down the mountain to the other disciples, they saw a huge crowd around them and the religion scholars cross-examining them. So here are the fundamentalists out here in the crowd, challenging and questioning, cross-examining. I love that usage that Peterson does here in the message. And as soon as the people in the crowd saw Jesus, admiring excitement stirred them. They ran and greeted him. He asked, what's going on? What's all the commotion? A man out of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my mute son made speechless by a demon to you. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and he goes stiff as a board. I told your disciples, hoping they could deliver him, but they couldn't. Jesus said, What a generation. No sense of God. How many times do I have to go over these things? Hold it right there. Don't, don't advance the slide yet. I think it's interesting that the King James and the ESV both say, Oh, faithless generation. Peterson here says, No sense of God. What a generation without any sense of God. And if you, if you realize this, it's your faith that is the spiritual organ of sensing God, the godness in God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe, everybody say must believe, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it takes faith. Everybody say faith Faith. pleases God. The, the, The converse is true. Without faith it's impossible to please God. Okay. So what we're saying here, Jesus says, oh faithless generation, you don't have any sense of God whatsoever. How many times do I have to go over these things? Do you hear a little bit of frustration in Jesus' voice? Yeah, I do. Jesus responds to them. Next slide. He says, how much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring me the boy. Bring the boy over here. Bring him here. They brought him and when the demons saw Jesus, I love that. When the demons saw Jesus... It threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to writhe on the ground and foam at the mouth. He asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? Ever since he was a little boy. Wow. Many times it pitches him into fire or fever to do away with him. Look at the dad, his response. Look at this right here. Dad says, if you can do anything, do it. Have a heart. Greek word, compassion. Sympathio, sympathy. Have a heart and help us. Jesus is taken aback. He says, if? What do you mean if? There are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. Read that one right there. Go back, go back. Read that one with me. Jesus, here we go. Let's do it together. Jesus said, if there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. Now, this is what... Peterson translates out of the King James that you've grown up hearing, if you only believe, all things are possible. Okay, So the issue is about our believing. It's not in God's ability. God has the ability. So Jesus says, there are no ifs. Anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, then I believe, help me with my doubts. The familiar translation to you would say, help me with my unbelief. 
help thou my unbelief, King James says. Okay? Seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus gave the vile spirit its marching orders. Dumb and deaf spirit, I command you out of him and stay out. Screaming and with much thrashing about, it left. The boy was pale as a corpse, so people started saying, he's dead. I love these next five words right here. Say them out loud with me. But Jesus taking his hand. Say them out loud again, come on. But Jesus taking his hand. One more time with everything in you, say it. But Jesus taking his hand. Next two words, read them. Raised him. I love it. The boy stood up. Last passage here. After arriving back home, his disciples cornered Jesus and asked, why couldn't we throw the demon out? Here it is. He answered, there is no way to get rid of this kind of demon except by prayer. May the Lord today add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let it continue to influence and infiltrate our lives in every kind of way for the purpose of growing the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. I want you to learn a little bit of a spiritual geography lesson. Last week, the message in Mark took place on a mountaintop. Jesus takes three disciples apart from the rest of the crowd, Peter, James, and John. We kind of jokingly said last week how it probably was among the other nine because it got to be every time Jesus was turning around, he was pulling those three aside, taking them with him and telling the other nine to just stay put, sit tight. Pete, Jim, and John. Pete, Jim, and John. Every time we turn around, it's Pete, Jim, and John. And you can know they had to experience some frustration because Bartholomew and Thaddeus and Judas, I'm sure himself as well as the other disciples, Matthew, probably could have been, you know, why can't we come on the trip? Hey, look, did we like draw the, the, the short straw? Were we standing behind the door when the invitations were passed out? Why is it always Pete, Jim, and John? Pete, Jim, and John. You know the story, they go up on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. His garments glitter and, gla and, and blaze like on fire. The scripture says they were so white that no man could bleach them that white. His face is radiating the power and the presence of God. There are the effulgence of the presence of the Lord, the outshining of the indescribable light above all lights. That light which no man can look into and live. That kind of light is exploding out of Jesus. And Peter and James and John are there. And they're bowing before him in the presence of God in worship and adoration. And there in that scene, in that mist, in that fog of heaven, uh, surrounded by those rays of light and the outshining of the power of God, Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, the law and the prophets are gathered together in that place, observing the one who for thousands of years the hearts of men have longed to see the Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, standing there in the very middle occurrence. We talked about five key moments in Jesus' life in ministry. His birth when the angels sang and the voice of God was heard. His baptism when the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. And they heard in the crowd, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear you Him. And same thing happens here at the transfiguration. This is my Son. Listen to Him. The other two being crucifixion, resurrection, and then finally His ascension to the right hand of the Father. 
five things. This is the middle one. This is number three. Jesus is on the mountain. He's taken these disciples up with him. They have the privilege of observing this and they have had a true biblical mountaintop experience where their lives have been completely, totally, forever altered, radically shaken, ruined for the glory of God. God above all gods, light of very light, Jesus Christ, you are all that you said that you are. They come down off of the mountain after Peter put his foot in his mouth, bless his heart, didn't know what to say. Should have just kept his mouth shut, but he says, hey, let me just throw up three tents here, maybe build some tabernacles. Let's just hang out here from now on. How many of us regularly want to experience a mountaintop kind of situation where we are just overwhelmed by the presence of God and the goodness of the Lord and either we're shouting with joy or we're weeping with praise indescribable moments where we just sense the everlasting arms of God wrapped around us and it's in those moments of security and peace and shalom the wholeness of God that envelops us that we just think man if I could just stay in this place if I if I just didn't have to go out there into that real world and I want you to understand some spiritual geography. For every mountaintop, there's always a valley that follows. You go to a great conference and you hear amazing preaching and you're just hanging from the rafters and you're excited or you read a wonderful book or God has taken the, the scripture and he's emblazoned it on your heart. Black ink on white paper comes alive in a book that's unlike any other book on the planet. And the word is sharp and powerful than any other two-edged sword. It's, it's quick, it's alive, it divides asunder spirit and soul and joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12 says. And this word that we talk about in this, this Bible, whether it's leather bound or whether it's a piece of technology on an iPhone or a version or an iPad or a tablet or whatever your means or your device the, the, the method is really immaterial. It's just whatever means that you use to be able to get that thing into you. When you begin to make a deposit and get the Word of God down into your heart, your faith begins to grow and it makes a connection for you. Otherwise, where you would have been powerless, you become powerful, filled with the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Bible tells us that the words that Jesus speaks to us, John 6, 63, they are spirit and they are life. Far too often as a Pentecostal or as a charismatic, sometimes in our general sense of the larger movement of this whole charismatic movement, we sometimes, I believe, are a little too quick to say the Lord told me or we, we, we represent the idea that we just are going around in a 24-7 kind of a running commentary with God. God said or God told me. And, and I think that we need to be careful with that because if you've really heard the voice of the Lord, it has resurrection life in you. It will change you. It will transform you. You can't be the same person. You can't really hear a word from God and just go on living your life willy-nilly and silly about sin and things in your life. that Everybody's got sense enough to know that if you've been in the presence of Jesus, it's going to make you different. And so I just I want to say that I am a charismatic. I am in that sense. I am Pentecostal in the sense that I believe that God will speak to me. He will, he will cause the word to come alive. And I'm, I'm thankful. In this sense, I'm a Baptist. I'm a good Presbyterian because I believe in the grounding of the all-sufficiency of the Scripture. This is the plumb line. This is what everything else is judged by. 
And he gives us tools, he says in 1 John 4, test the spirits and see if they're of God. He gives us a litmus test for prophecy in here in terms of how we judge a word that we get. Because let's face it, sometimes God will, what you have taken time to treasure in your heart, He will by the Holy Spirit activate it and cause it to come alive. The old Puritans talked about the quickening of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart. Another translation says, I've treasured it above all things so that I might not sin against you. And when I take the word of God and I, I invest it into my heart and it becomes part of the fiber of my being, then the Holy Spirit does what only He can do. And He can quicken into my memory. He can stir up my mind. He can remind me of everything that Jesus has said and put right down in here. In, in, in that sense, and we're not just trying to make everybody happy and because we're non-denominational, but I'm just telling you, if you're biblical, then you should have a little bit of every one of those groups because they have been a move of God at some point in the past, in history. Jesus takes his disciples in John 13 up into the upper room and he washes their feet and he institutes the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, his broken body and his shed shared blood and then he opens for three more chapters the most intensive seminar on the Holy Spirit between John 14, John 15, John 16, 17 he goes into Gethsemane and he calls Pete, Jim and John again to go with him but 14, 15 and 16 he's talking about the person and the work and the function and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and one of the things he says is that he's supposed to teach you and guide you and bring you into remembrance all things which I Jesus is saying all things that he has spoken unto them he will remind you he will stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance Peter says in his epistle and so I fully believe in that I'm thankful for that I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that I can make that connection sometimes I get disconnected Sometimes I get in a place of distraction and, 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 and so many so often I can experience the pressure of the real needs that are in the crowd. There's a very real word, a real world that is out here around us with, a, with some, some very, very critical needs that, that we need to have the presence of Jesus to be able to speak to and to minister to. I think it's important sometimes people in leadership, pastors, experience a certain degree of power and they, they begin to, like Moses, veil the face and try to present an image of knowing everything. And let me just be real honest with you at this point. I'm thankful for all that God has been doing in Victory Church for the last few years, but I'm not one of those guys. I am not afraid to say, I don't know. But this is what I do say. I tell you what, we can pray and we can find out. We can go to the Word. We can seek the face of the Lord. I think it's a scary thing when anybody begins to operate in that kind of a venue or that sort of a mindset or a perspective where they feel like they have to on the spot make up something that's really more BS. And I don't mean Bible study either. I mean, it's just, and I don't want to offend you, uh, but it's just not scripture stuff that people come up with sometimes just on the spur of the moment, just off the cuff, making up stuff. And you just go, you know what? I don't know, but I got sense enough that that isn't right. How many of you ever, how many of you ever, you've, you've just sensed it. Something goes off in your spirit. Down in your knower, you just know that you know that you know. Down in your knower, your knower knows. Now that sounds crazy, but that's actually Bible. 1 John 2 says you have an unction of the Holy One and you know all things. The issue is you just don't know that you know that yet. I don't know it, but the knower in me knows it and it's the Holy Spirit. 
and he who knows all things is inside me and can go, ah, that's not right. It's like Richard Dawson on Family Feud. Ah, wrong answer. Where did that come from? I tell you, if you knew the parade that I experienced up here, if, if you knew what I edited, you would be. Anyway, real needs in the crowd. So we got some stuff. Man, I'm going to tell you, this is the perfect place for imperfect people to come to because there's not anybody in the room who hasn't been jacked up at some point. We got some stuff. We got some baggage. We got some stuff we, we need to unload. And sometimes Jesus has to get our attention with a little bit of a rebuke. We don't need to be fearful of that because if we know in confidence... Hey, hello, my name is child of the one true king. I can be glad that God loves me enough that he would bring a sense of correction because his heart is for me. His desire is for me. Come on, somebody. He's got a plan not to harm me, a future and a hope. Real needs in the crowd. And this is what I don't want to be. I don't want us to be this. I don't want to be trapped in this kind of legalistic, hyper-fundamentalist, the religious response and they're standing there and they're arguing and they're challenging and they're accusing. And they've got on their fundamentalist faces, well, if this is really God. <laughs> and, and you've got all these people that, with all the religious response and they're just taking up time sucking air. They're just consuming resources on the planet. You, you, they will get up in your life and not do you one bit of good except just bring more confusion. We don't need hyper-religious, fundamentalist kinds of responses when we're in the middle of a crisis, when we have a power outage. I don't need somebody coming and telling me, well, you know, I remember in the day when the last electrician died and there have been no more powers, there have been no miraculous signs and wonders since the last electrician died. How many of you heard that kind of mess before? How many of you thankful that the issue wasn't about anybody in history passing and leaving and no more of the demonstration of God, many times the demonstration of God doesn't come because people have such a great degree of unbelief and no faith. It was just a little while, power came back on at our house and we, thank you, thank you Lord, thank you, we're so grateful, we're so thankful. One thing can disrupt so many different other things because everything else depends on that and I think that's the center point of this story. We've got some disciples in the middle of a crowd and these disciples are disabled momentarily. They are disabled disciples because they are disconnected from their power source. Literally, not following through. Disabled disciples because they have not connected to this Jesus that is very much in their presence. Next point, guys. If you would, Jesus gets frustrated. Jesus is frustrated because of their faithlessness. He says, oh, generation of little faith. Eugene Peterson says, you guys have absolutely no sense of God whatsoever. How can you walk around out here having been connected to the work of the Spirit, the work of God, and yet, yet there's just no sense of it whatsoever? Where is your faith? And Jesus is frustrated. I believe that he shows them for just a moment a little bit of the stinging sense of rebuke that I don't believe we ever need to be afraid of because the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. Theonustos. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, 
for instruction and righteousness. There are four things that we do, and I want you to see this. Everybody say teaching. Teaching is the way that God says that you're supposed to walk in. And the Bible is literally, it has with it accompanying it the spirit that lives on the inside of you. So we've got an external book and we have an internal spirit of God. The two are united. They are one together. The word and the spirit are one. And it's critical that we learn to listen to our GPS system on the inside of us, our God-positioning system in terms of where we are in relation to Him, in terms of where we are on our spiritual journey. Because the teaching literally is the clear written Word of God. It is the way in which we're to walk. But we have a GPS system that begins to bring correction and adjustment. And the, the rebuke is this. It is when I first deviate from the course... And I get off and I make a wrong turn. Some of you have GPS systems in your cars. Everyone in here who has an iPhone has a GPS system on it. And it says recalculating, correcting. And so when you get off the the, the path where you're headed for a destination, you make a turn. Sometimes I get so aggravated i got to shut that thing off. (laughs) Because I know where I'm going. And I I know how I'm going to get back on. I just need to pull off for a minute to use the facilities or I need to pick up another Diet Dr. Pepper or something, right? You know, just for a minute or get some gas in the vehicle. And and as soon as you make that turn, it's like giving you, she is just, and why is it a female voice? That's just always a hoot to me. (laughs) No offense, ladies. I don't understand that. I don't mean that in a bad way. Why? But why? And and, and so it's just kind of, you know, scratching. It's like... We're, we're on our trip going to Catalyst. We've got some of our leadership team and some of our praise team, and we're going down there. And, and Haley's in the front seat, and she says, turn that thing off. I mean, it, was, it got to be a little aggravating. And so we, we got off at McAllister's down there at New Albany to get something to eat and, as a group together, and, and, and it just, she just keeps talking to us. And, you know, I believe there's something of the persistence of the Holy Spirit like that. Some, we have an ability, I think, to kind of shut things down and kind of distance ourselves and try not to hear it but you know when that still small voice on the inside of you starts pulling on you going now hang on here wait a minute hey I'm trying to get your attention hey and that's the work of the spirit of the Lord inside you going you've made a bad turn here he's he's rebuking you and we shouldn't be afraid of that because that's what he's there for he's doing his job and then correction where it says good for teaching for in for rebuking, for correcting, for instruction in righteousness. The teaching is the way we're supposed to be on. He rebukes us when we make a wrong turn off the path. And then he says correcting, correcting, course correcting. He, he shows us another route so that we can get back where we're supposed to be on the right path. And then finally, isn't that good? And then finally, instruction in righteousness is how to stay on the path. So teaching is the path. Rebuking is when I get off. And correcting is how to get back on. And then instruction in righteousness is how to stay on the path. It is amazing how God has given us all of this in His Word. Sometimes I can get disconnected from my power source. I've not spent time in the Word. I've not spent time in prayer. And I'm not walking in the awareness. I'm not connected with a sense of God. There's a faithlessness sometimes. Come on, I'm confessing. Anybody else in the room, do you know what I'm talking about? You just get distracted. You get really pulled under in the toe uh, of the tide of life and all this stuff that's going on. And Jesus literally expresses a little frustration. And he's, there's a little tinge of maybe even just a slight little bit of anger. How long am I going to have to put up with this? But he quickly changes to his focus on the man and the boy. And I think this is where we have to be. Too many times when I'm dry in my own life, 
I can be focused on the wrong things and I've got to realize that I'm here to serve the needs of other people. Now, you may be any one of these people in this story. You may be the dad who has a child that's lacking in an area. You may be the son that is in desperate need. You may be a disciple that was walking with Jesus but for a moment has experienced a temporary power outage and you need to understand why, what got disconnected. By the way, the rest of the story was I got a text from Energy and it said human responsibility and that's what they said in terms of the reason which means somebody ran into a a pole and it killed a transformer. So they had to put all that stuff back together. And many, many times... The power outages that we experience in our lives are due to human responsibility. Somebody else has come along and an offense has entered into my heart. I've not kept my focus on Jesus and remained in an attitude of prayer that is the way I'm supposed to be operating or spent time in the Word to let Him minister to me and feed me. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. This, is, this is all of us in the room at some point. This is just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you don't experience this means there's a greater opportunity at many times to get distracted and to be overwhelmed and overcome by the pressure. Jesus sees that and He shows compassion. Greek word, sympatheo, heart, pathos. He, he's, he hurts. He is, he is not a high priest who is not moved by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows your pain. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstance. His heart breaks for what breaks your heart. And now as a disciple of His in my life that has been transformed, I'm to let Him break my heart for what breaks His. And that's the needs of all the other people around me, the real needs that are in the crowd. The disciples are disabled and Jesus says, bring the boy here to me. And He has compassion on the father and He has compassion on the boy. And He asks the dad some questions. And you can imagine how difficult it is for this dad who every father prizes and believes in and, and, and loves and enjoys a son. But can you imagine the pain that this dad feels because he's never been able to experience any kind of real communication with the son because he's gripped by something that doesn't allow him to speak? There comes a time when there are only so many grunts and groans or waving of hands and you you have to know the incredible frustration that this young boy felt because of not being able to do what every other normal human being around him was doing. He couldn't speak. There's a disconnection from the world because communication that has been blocked. Jesus' heart hurts for the boy and he hurts for the dad. Can you imagine the the ostracizing that the boy has experienced? Can you imagine the shame that the dad has had to deal with in bringing his son out into public and people saying, why is this happening? You must have done something. God is punishing you. This is the religious voices that are always talking. They're, they're in our circles. They're, in, they're all around us. You know what? You wouldn't be going through this difficulty if you hadn't done that thing or angered God in this area or the other. And that's the last thing you need to have somebody trying to analyze for you. We don't need, we don't need all that religious religiosity, all of those religious responses. Jesus says, if. The dad responds and he says, if you can do anything, help us. Jesus says, if. What do you mean if? There are no ifs. I need you to believe. This thing is not about God's ability. This is about our ability to believe. Come on, somebody. We need to deal with our... Look at your neighbor and say, deal with your ifs. There are no ifs, ands, or buts in this thing with Jesus. If we're going to walk with Him, for Him to work with us, we need to deal with our ifs. 
Look at the issue. Next point. The issue is not God's accomplishing, but it's our believing. I want you to know, I want you to be convinced before you leave this place today that you serve a God who is good, who loves you, who never gives up. His love never runs out. He doesn't give up on any of us. And He is able. He is able. He is strong. He is mighty. He is powerful. He's a good God. He's not just able... He's not just all-powerful and then withholding it from you because He's not good. He's completely good in every kind of way and He's all-powerful at the same time. So the point is He is able, but He's also willing. Everyone in this room probably can admit God is able, but the thing you struggle with is, yeah, I know He's able, but is He willing to help me? And Some of you are sitting here this morning hurting hurting because of circumstances that have not yet been rectified, because of problems that you've prayed and you haven't yet seen answered. And I want to ask you to forgive us as a church, forgive me as a pastor, if we've had a power outage, if we've been disconnected and we've been faithless. Let me get you in touch with the one who is the ultimate power source. Jesus can change your circumstances. Come on, somebody, give Him praise. The issue is not God's accomplishing, but it's our believing. Can I believe Him? Can I deal with the ifs? The dad says very simply, hey, I believe, but help me with my doubts. It's all of this stuff. It's the challenges of having prayed in the past and not seen anything change. I hear you now and my faith is, my faith is strong and I'm arising and I'm in your presence, Jesus, and, and, and I know that there's something different and I know that you're able, but help my doubts. Everybody in this room that's ever been to a mountaintop and experienced the glory of God's presence, a word that changed your life, an experience that turned you and did a 180 and you were able to see God deliver you from a destructive pattern of behavior and your testimonies are abundant in this room. I sat down before this service and Jay Lanham, our policeman that we baptized two weeks ago, he said, you remember Pastor Mike when we were in purple book group and and I asked the guys the the men and the women that were in the purple book would you please pray with me I really would like to change from the night shift to the day shift and he says this is such an amazing story he said you know I figured first of all they changed it and let me have Saturday Sunday Monday they gave me weekends so I could be in church and I was so excited about that and I just kind of figured that it would sort of, you know, gradually morph and they would, you know, put me on investigations or something like this and, you know, gradually give me a, a day position in one of those kinds of departments. He said, but the chief called me last week. He says, I need you to come in. And he says, immediately I'm thinking, okay, what did I do wrong? And chief says, no, we didn't do anything wrong. He said, I want to offer you something. I want to do it face to face. We'll do it in the office. Jay shared this testimony before church and he said, I'd just like to tell you, I want to give God praise and share it with the church if you'd like to. He said, the chief called me in and they have literally created a whole entirely new position and said that I could set my own hours. Can you believe that? Now, he just said, I want to tell you, God answers prayer. Now, when you hear stuff like that, you go, wow, is that amazing how I was in the group of 10 or 12 people and Becky Cecil and different ones were in this last round of purple group with us and we remember Jay asking and saying, pray for me. And now the brother's come and he says, God's answered my prayer and it blows my mind. And, and, and what I want to tell you is, is, is if, if, if you can hear that, let that help your doubts. Let it inject some faith into you for whatever you're praying, trusting God for because what He's done for Jay, He will do for you as well if you will believe. All things are possible. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Look at this verse of Scripture, Ephesians 3.20. 
God, read it out loud with me. Come on, let's do it together. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. I love it. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, His Spirit deeply and gently within us. I love it. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture out of Ephesians 3.20. It says in the King James, Now unto Him who is able. Everybody say, God's able. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. And you just got it from the message and it says, come on, you know, God, far more than you can even guess or imagine or think about, God is able. God can do anything. The issue is not God's accomplishing. The issue is your believing, my believing. Can I believe that God would do that for me? The man says, I believe, man, just help my doubts. Jesus recognized the problem and the demon recognized Jesus. You you don't need another report. You don't need a 15th opinion. You just need Jesus to weigh in in the discussion because he can analyze the problem. He can speak to it. And when the problem sees him, man, this is so powerful. I, I, I know that this has become a cliche in the last decade or so, but it's so still worth our repeating. There are two different perspectives that people live out of. They're either, God, I have this huge problem. Or, problem, I have this huge God. When Jesus sees it, the problem responds. When Jesus sees it, the problem responds. And Jesus has the power in the moment to make a demand. And he literally speaks and he says, get out of him, don't ever come back. And he's limp. I'm I'm convinced that there are more than two or three people in this room who've been through a struggle recently. And you've sensed that God's brought some deliverance, but you're just wrung out from it. And you need Jesus to do in your life what he did with this young man that everybody else around him said he was dead. But Jesus taking his hand. I, I, I believe that your situation this morning can change if you can just let Jesus get a hold of it. If you can just get it into the hand of Jesus. This morning, He wants to reach out and take you by the hand and raise you up. The struggle that you've been through, the circumstance, some of it you maybe are just now entering into. Some of you may feel like you're in the very middle of. I don't know who you are in this story, but I know who Jesus is. And Jesus loves every one of these people that are there. He even loves the religious cross-examining challengers. But God, don't let us be one of those. If you're the young man who has no ability to communicate, Jesus is here to heal you. If you're the father who's broken and hurting, Jesus is here to heal your child. If you're a disciple that's blown it, Jesus is here to take you back to school on another day and teach you and say, come on, this is how you get disconnected because I called you onto my team. This is what he's saying to his disciples. You are mine. I want to show you because what I do, I want you to be able to do as well. I want you to stay connected. Keep plugged in to the power source. Jesus takes the young boy by the hand. And they finally, they meet at the end of the day and Jesus answers their question. Why could we not drive this out? Why? What was the problem? And Jesus basically says, you know what, guys? This kind only comes out by prayer. And it's not just make up your mind and decide on the spur of the moment when the problem hits that you're going to decide to become a prayer warrior. You need to be living a life of prayer. This doesn't mean that you've got to clock two hours every morning. 
This means that you just begin to understand that every day, every moment of your day can be lived out of an attitude of prayer. I rise and I put my feet on the floor and immediately something is coming out of my mouth. Jesus, thank you for this day. Order my steps. I'm standing in the mirror and I'm shaving, cleaning up my face. And I'm praying, Lord, reveal yourself. Reveal your purpose. Reveal your word. Lead me, guide me, direct me. It's amazing how in an empty nest with no children in the house that's quiet, how prayer is so growing in mine and Dawn's lives. We'll just be sitting there and all of a sudden out of the blue, Dawn will blurt out and she'll just begin to pray for one of our children. Lord, in the name of Jesus, wherever Abby is right now, cover and protect and guard and guide her in Jesus' name. And I'm, I'm, I'm dropping whatever. We're watching Amazing Race and I'm going, yes, in the name of Jesus. And I'm standing in agreement. We're doing that. I'm not trying to be silly here. Uh, I mean, it's not, you know, constant all night long, but once in a while, I'll just send something. I'll think about one of you and I'll pray for your circumstance. And just Anita Bell has been on my heart this week, battling cancer. In the name of Jesus, let the strength of the Lord be on my sister, oh God, as she deals with this chemotherapy and the radiation. In Jesus' name, and Dawn had just come right in. Yes, Father, wrap your arms around her. And, and, and we're just sensing a, a growing of prayer. There are dedicated prayer times but, but prayer, especially in our house these days, just seems to be kind of a spontaneous flow. It can do that when you're driving down the road. It can be, it, you can do that under your breath without ever saying a word out loud at work. You, you, you can be thinking about the circumstance you're facing and just say, Jesus, make yourself known. Lead me. Let me have peace in the middle of all of this confusion at this job. Are you hearing me this morning? Stay connected. Don't let a power outage come because you get disconnected in a place of prayerlessness. A couple last things this morning. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, look at this. Last two things. Only prayerful produces powerful. Let us, let us have our lives be filled. Jesus tells us that we can ask whatever we will in the name of Jesus and it will be done for us. When he taught them about the Holy Spirit, that was one of the, the issues there. He said, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. James 4 says, we have not because we ask not. Or if we ask, we ask amiss apart from the will of God. So the issue is, let's get in the book and learn the will of God. Let's ask according to the will of God. Let's not be powerless because we're not asking for it. But let's ask. Let's ask, seek, and knock. A-S-K. Let's plug into the power source. Jesus, I need you. Lead me, guide me, teach me. Only prayerful produces powerful. I think it's critical that we realize that wherever we are, wherever we go, whoever we're with, if we want the life of Jesus Christ to be ministered to those people, we have to stay connected. Prayer is like our electricity. Jesus didn't rebuke them because they hadn't had enough Bible study. Are you hearing me? He rebuked them because they hadn't stayed connected in prayer. It doesn't mean that you've got to log a certain amount of time every day, but it just means you're living out of an attitude. Father, lead me. I'm, I'm, I'm whispering prayer all the time, at just different moments. Guide me. Give me the wisdom of God. Let the strength of the Lord be my portion. Are you, are you hearing me? Last thing, we must be pre-prayed to be power-filled. And there's a play on that on purpose. I believe that we can't wait until the moment, but we need to be, as my grandfather used to say, prayed up. You know, if, if, if there's something in your life that is a hindrance to you, it's a sin, deal with it. Bless God. Be violent with that thing. Be forceful with it. Deal with it. Cut it off. Because the Bible says, if I cherish sin or iniquity in my heart, He will not hear my prayers. Psalm 68. 
declares that. If I am holding anything back, I'm hiding it in the closet of my sin, in pantry, in the pantry of my sin, and I'm covering it up. If I cherish that iniquity, the Bible says he won't hear my prayer. Now, the only prayer he'll hear if that's going on in your life is, Jesus, forgive me, I repent. Get this thing out of my life. And guess what? Then everything becomes available. All of heaven opens up to you again. That's it right there. As I close this message today, I'll just be honest with you. Before you try to tackle the specifics about issues that you're wrestling with, the biggest thing is to answer the question, have you ever prayed the most important prayer you'll ever pray? And that's what the Bible calls the sinner's prayer. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Jesus, I cry out to you. That's what very simply the, the publican, you remember there was the sinner and the publican, and this guy says, I thank you that I'm not this guy. I thank you this religious person said, I'm not as this man who stands here next to me. And he started listing all of his religious qualifications. And Jesus talks about how the Lord heard one man and not the other. And he hears just the very simple, broken-hearted cry to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Let's bow our hearts together, please, this morning for a word of prayer.